The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number... Um, 212. <laughs> you are a blessing. Um, oh. it's, it's interesting because we talk a lot lately about authenticity. We've talked a lot lately about uh, courage. And it seems as though we're talking a lot lately about grief. We are, but I think that's so in line with what a lot of people are experiencing. Mm. The past year and a half, people have had to grieve differently. We haven't been able to attend funerals the same way or have big celebrations for weddings. Like there's been so many different layers of grief, not to mention the loss of family members and, and friends. So I think this might be a God thing as to why the conversation of grief just keeps coming up time and time again, because it's a conversation that has to happen. So we have uh, been able to tackle a, an incredible guest for this week. And uh, Catherine Gordier, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? So far, so good. And uh, we are so pumped that we, we get to spend this time with you today. Uh, and we'd be remiss to not ask you our biggest, our hardest, our skill testing question. And that would be, Catherine, who are you and where did you come from? I was born and raised in Kingston, Ontario. I'm the eldest of eight. And when I say that, people always say, oh, you must be Catholic. And I go, <laughs> yes, we're Catholic. As a matter of fact, we lived uh, right across the street from our Roman Catholic Church. Just shy of uh, 18 years old, I moved to the big, noisy city of Toronto to go to college. And also so I could, you know, have my own bathroom, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I, yes, I studied sales and marketing. I eventually had my own sales agency in um, household linens, actually. And then uh, bored with that career, I moved into an industry I've always loved. I always loved performing and singing. I went into the film and television industry, but not in front of the camera, behind the camera. I produced a low-budget feature film in 2004. I wrote the screenplay. It's called Some Things That Stay. And um, I worked mostly as a second assistant director the favorite project on that was Chicago, the musical. I met my husband in that industry. And so now, uh, because he lived in the U.S., although he's dual citizen, um, raised in Montreal, but uh, we had a home in California. So, so now I snowbird in <laughs> to California when it's cold here. Good for you. Smart yes. decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Good life plan. I have so many questions. Starting with the oldest of eight kids. How was wow. that for you? I'm the oldest, but of only three. And I found that I had to be more mature and I had to take on way more responsibilities. And that was just with two younger siblings. How was it for you with yes, seven but, younger? But one good thing, Holly, I got new clothes. <laughs> <laughs> also true. <laughs> yeah, so I, because I was the eldest, I was always the, the babysitter, the first one. I, I would be so, you know, sitting on the front porch, um, staying at home and with the, the younger ones in, this would, would have been when I was, you know, maybe 16. And my other sisters were going out on dates. And I'm like, I'm babysitting because they there's 13 years between myself and my youngest sister. 
eight kids. You're the oldest. Obviously you want to, you want to get out. And that's why you went to uh, Toronto was the ambitions of, because it, you, you have so many amazing facets about you. And did you think like, this is what I want to do. And you kind of figured it out at the age of 18. And that's why you left to Toronto. Well, I left out a little thing. I did always want to be in, in the film and television industry. I didn't know how to do that. I went to Seneca College and the first course I took, two years course was um, aesthetics, skincare, sales and marketing actually. So I was an esthetician for two years. Hmm. And uh, I just thought, well, I don't know how to you know, be a model or anything, but I'll learn how to take care of my skin. When I went into sales, I got discovered at, uh, at a photo shoot from my boss's, for my boss's daughter. He had had me go pick pick up his daughter. And they said, Oh, do you model? I said, no. <laughs> so I got, I dabbled in it, but I was alone in Toronto and I had to pay the rent. So, so that's why 30, I was 36 before I made the change into the film and television industry. What was it like going into the film and television industry? It is very male dominated as we know. And uh, here it's kind of your second career and you are female and in a, a role where you get to tell people what to do. No, no. A second assistant director is, is mostly organizing, like planning the day. I, I, you speak to the department heads and you go to the electrics and say, you know, how long do you think it'll take you to light this set? Mm-hmm. So then I back up. If they say an hour and a half, then you back up the hair and makeup and figure out how long it takes so-and-so to get into his uh, zombie look. (laughs) It's all all organizing and timing. Yeah. That still sounds uh, like a a boss role to me. (laughs) But but yeah, yeah, there's a sense of power of going around with the, then, you know, clipboard. Now I think they have iPads and, (laughs) and giving people their, their call time. But, but again, I was, I was 36, 37, and a lot of the trainee ADs were in their early 20s. So I was more mature. I actually was only a PA for, oh, probably less than a year. And I, a first assistant director gave me the chance. I skipped being a third AD. There's first, second, third, and fourth. So oh, I skipped okay. being a third completely. Mm-hmm. Is it difficult for, and I'm not calling you old, but at the age of 38, when you're getting into this industry, is it difficult being the quote unquote more mature one because there are so many people who are younger than you? Most of the first ADs were my age or older. Usually have to go through fourth, third, second. Right. Mm -hmm. And lots of people um, can stay on one level for five years. Or longer, like second a second AD is a completely different job from a first AD. A first AD runs the floor, keeps everything yeah. moving. The second AD, I'm in the trailer all the time, do, working on the call sheet. So you're doing all of this. You're you're flying back and forth, Toronto and California, which already seems like the life. It, it seems like you're doing all of these amazing things, and then at some point, you decide that you want to write a book. Why did you then decide that, hey, you know what? I've done all these other things. Obviously, me being an author, I I need to add that to my list. I didn't suddenly say I want to write a book, although I had adapted a couple of books into screenplays, of which only one was shot. Um, 
And uh, I was actually in the midst of rewriting a bad horror script when a tragedy happened in my family. It was uh, the night of my youngest sister, Julie's surprise birthday party. It was a horror-themed birthday party because she loved scary movies. And uh, my family, we were all gathering at my brother Dave's house, happily waiting for um, my parents and Julie to arrive. And just as we thought they were going to be coming through the door, we got a phone call saying that my mother had been hit by a car. My parents and Julie had attended 515 Mass before coming to the party, as they did every Saturday. And as I mentioned earlier, the church was directly across the street from the house. And for 42 years, they walked back and forth across the street. And Mm. that night, unfortunately, an 85-year-old woman uh, did not see them. Mm. And so I was completely devastated and... uh, as I again, as I mentioned, the, the role of a second assistant director is very detail oriented. I couldn't go back to that job and have that uh, responsibility. They've been so just such a traumatic phone call to get. You're expecting a mass celebration and then you're getting the call that there's been this horrific accident. How does someone process that or, or do they? My husband and I actually dashed off to the accident site in our full zombie attire, uh, only to learn that uh, like Julie was struck too. Hmm. And uh, so my mother had died that evening and my sister, we had to say goodbye to her the next day. She was severely brain damaged. And uh, so, and then it got worse. Um, I moved in with my dad but it was only a few weeks and he died of a broken heart several weeks after the funeral. So as close as I um, was to my siblings, we were all just in shock and nobody wanted to talk about it. They just went to their own homes with their own families. And my husband was in the midst of producing uh, Resident Evil 4, Afterlife, ironically, was the title of that. I didn't go back to Toronto. I went up to the cottage and started writing to get it to get it out of me. After after my executor, or, or I should say, after we sold the the family home, because I was co-executor. So this the accident happened in November two thousand and nine, and. Uh, we sold the house the end of April 2010, and then I went to the lake and and started to unload my writing, start journaling. There are different ways that we deal with grief. There's different ways that we deal with tragedy, and a lot of times, as you were saying, we we you know sometimes we stuff it in. Sometimes we don't want to we don't want to deal with that head on. Um, did you find that writing and spending time uh, by yourself was a form of therapy for you? Absolutely. But I didn't feel so alone when I was writing. I felt like I was talking to my mother. There, the, my book uh, goes into great detail that evening and the few weeks following the accident. But also just just naturally memories 
tame to me. Just like when you, you walk down the street and you see a restaurant and you remember, oh, I went there with my dad. So memories kept coming to me. So I, I did write some happy memories in there and, uh, and some Hollywood moments. My mother was a big lover of celebrities and she got to meet Richard Gere and get her picture taken with him. <laughs> so so it, was, uh, it was comforting that way as well. Since like my siblings didn't, I, I remember one of my sisters saying to me, do you have to talk about mom, dad, and Julie all the time? And I'm, mm. whoa, but I want to. So, so I had to find an outlet and thus, so thus alone at the lake and my husband would come up on the weekends. I like that you brought up your sibling who was questioning why you're always bringing up your mom and your dad and your sister because everybody grieves so differently. How did your siblings respond to the fact that you were writing a book about this event that sounds like they would rather just forget happened? Yes. Uh, and they would probably rather I didn't write the book. Hmm. Um, they, they knew I was writing it, or at least uh, most of them did. My, my brother Dave isn't a, isn't a reader and isn't on Facebook, but the rest are. And uh, they knew I was writing because I would call and say, you know, were you, were you there when we ordered the headstone or... You know, like, do you remember this or what color was my dress or like, I don't know. I, I, I was calling over the years to, to, to find out details. And I also attended Kingston Writers Fest uh, five times and half my family still lived there. And so mm. they'd, they'd meet me downtown Kingston for drinks and they all knew I was doing it. Um, and again, they... Um, we ha we had had all I'd always had this uh, sisters weekend, so we had one this August or, or I should say the June before the accident. So we were we were all together, and over the years I kept asking, so when can we have another one? Because I don't have children, I don't have mm. my own children, I have stepchildren, um, but they weren't living with us. They were in university and college in the U.S. So we'd have this sisters weekend and at my house because no kids. And, uh, and so they come up, they came up to the lake and, and I just, afterwards I waited two years and then I kept saying, you know, when are we going to have another sisters weekend? And I get, mm. I'm not ready. Oh, it's too soon. And until like even the five-year mark. And I was, I was crying with one of my sisters. I'm like, I miss you guys. And still, like nine years later, there still wasn't. So there was no talking. So all my talking, all my talking is, is in here. It's almost like a message to them too. It's like, this is what I was going through. I don't know what you were going through, but this is what I was doing. <laughs> what I love, and you had said it, it's almost a message to them. There's always these little nuances, these little things about the book that, uh, you know, somebody who's close to you would be able to grasp from it. People who've never met you before can get little snippets and little things from it. But one of the fascinating things that I always find is uh, how someone comes up with the title of the book, whether it's, it just so happened to happen, or it was something that had occurred from the grieving process or whatever that is. How did you come up with the title of yours? 
Well, in the, the first few weeks afterwards, all you know, my girlfriends would call me and say, remember to breathe, Catherine. Mm-hmm. And the therapist, don't forget to breathe. Take a deep breath. So that's where the, the, the first breathe comes from. Um, and then when I get off the phone, you know, after they would say, and so how are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Then hang up and then, and then I cry. Um, and then this, the second breathe was, this is beautiful story. So I received a letter from my sister's lung recipient and we wrote to each other for years. Hmm. We're still in touch. And so that's where the other breathe came. It's the breathe for me to breathe, the cry for the sadness, and then the breathe that my sister gave life to another young woman. So you have it breathe, cry, breathe, but from sorrow to strength. What do you want people to get from reading this book? I want them to learn to, uh, to celebrate the lives of their departed ones. And um, I would suggest, I mean, yes, you're going to be devastated in the beginning for a few weeks, for a few months. There's no clock on, on how long you will grieve. But while you're waiting for the time to tick on, to feel better, you could perhaps do something do something productive, do something in their memory. I, I chose to do fundraisers for Special Olympics in memory of my sister. I've done seven of them since 2011. Um, I also tried to get a crosswalk at the accident site. Uh, I haven't yet, but um, now that the book's done, I'm hoping it's going to bring awareness back to that because there was an accident there in February. The man didn't die, but he was hit at the same place. Mm. Um, I also talk about um, my different healing therapies. I call, I call the, some of them al- alternative healing methods, neuromodulation technique therapist. She would go, uh, Deborah Frenette could explain it in her terms, but the easiest terms is, She's talking to your, your brain, to your master control system. Like, it's like power of positive thinking, thinking positive. She helped me tremendously. She even helped me from a debilitating sh- shoulder pain. I couldn't swim in the lake for three years. And after two or three sessions with her, it's never been back. Yeah, the brain is a, a very strong muscle, if you will, in our body. And um, I love that you were able to dive into different ways of being able to find something that would help you heal so that you could not move on, because I don't think you ever really move on, but just be able to do something with the grief. Like I just, I was going through your bio and all the different people they've been able to, to do work with and to help them. Do you find healing in knowing that in your sister's legacy that you are really leaving a, like a, a positive impact in people's lives? Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I, I, I have been getting emails and text messages from friends and, and strangers. I had uh, a Facebook message from a woman that had said she thought there was something wrong with her 
because she was still grieving so and so sad, like months and months and months after her mom passed. Her mom also had um, severe brain damage and they had to make the, the decision to let her go. And she was always haunted by that. I was haunted by it as well. Uh, it's like, what if we kept her on life support? And, and, and she said that uh, it helped her understand more. I, I explained a bit about being brain dead as, as opposed to being unconscious in the book. But actually, actually something else that somebody else wrote to me um, in my book, I say in a few places, people don't know what to do. So they give you things like you went to my dad's haunt, the Portsmouth house tavern and the bartender gave my siblings and I a whole bunch of appetizers free. And then there's, there's other occasions where people just, they give you things to try to make you feel better. And I had a, a note from a man um, that said, I think that your book is going to be something that people are going to give to help somebody feel better. And that was like, whoa. <laughs> Oh, there's your answer to that. <laughs> In the hills and valleys of life, there's those questions that we ask. It's why me? Why am I put into this situation? Why do I have to deal with this? Why is all of this going on? And sometimes it's those mountaintops and sometimes it's those valleys. Through everything that you've gone through, uh, the, the hills and valleys of your life, can you think of a why me moment? No, no. Well, the why me, <laughs> the, the why me, well, first, the first, the why me was why, why did it happen when they're walking home from church? Hmm. Um, but then I have been trying to do good, making good, something good come from something bad, which, you know, a, a lot of people do that. And, uh, I'm, I love, like, as I mentioned, I loved working. I never cared about getting up at 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning to be on the set at 5 a.m. And so I needed to keep busy. So I wrote, but I also needed to keep busy. And so all of these um, pursuits, diversions for me, but were practical pursuits that hopefully are helping somebody. I, I do have another question for you. Uh, you talk about your parents' faith and how, you know, this happened coming home from church. Was there any moment while you were going through that initial process of grief where you found a nugget from your mom or your dad or your sister that really gave you a sense of encouragement in that moment? Holly, this is what ended up happening is we were never getting all of our families together seven siblings, 16 nieces and nephews, all together in Kingston at the same time. I could not remember a night before then that that happened. We were all there together. So, so you know, some people did say, maybe it happened because you were all together. And in the beginning, I'm like, <sighs> like it, it, I was angry about it, but the more I, when I was writing the book and going through my journey, I went, you know what? <laughs> it is good that we were all together because we, we, we have been a very close knit family. 
and and you know my my parents did the jitterbug the week before on the weekend before they were dancing so they didn't i didn't see them deteriorate their health deteriorate they didn't have to go into a home they didn't have have somebody else take care of them it's uh incredibly difficult to to sometimes say goodbye when you're not expecting it but to be able to sit there uh, to to write this uh, amazing story to be able to share your heart uh Catherine uh breathe cry breathe which is available now we appreciate you taking some time and being able to share your heart today may may i just read this little prayer that i found that, yeah absolutely um, so sometimes you find things that make you smile after you lose your loved ones i found this taped to uh, my mom's fridge to the side of the fridge Heavenly Father, show me the way as I arise to start each day. Help me be kind, unselfish, and true, helping others and being like you. In all that we do from morning till night, please stay by my side and guide me right. Hmm. That was my mom. <laughs> the essence of her. <laughs> Very sweet. Well, we, we appreciate you uh, being able to share that as well. And uh, thank you for taking some time today and uh, telling us your story. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Catherine, for taking some time. And uh, just you hear these constant grief stories, Holly, Mm -hmm. and every every story is so different. But to be able to think about that person and the impact that they've left on your heart is uh, it's so nice that we're able to spend some time doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that she's able to share her story. And, you know, it's just it's incredible how, you know, we've talked about before as a culture, we don't really grieve very well. And so hearing the different ways that people have been able to find healing, um, it's just it's really encouraging and inspiring. And and we hope that if you're going through a season of grief, that Mm. whatever journey you are on, that you know that it's okay. (laughs) Grieve the way you need to grieve. Amen to that. And again, uh, we encourage you to talk to someone and don't go at this alone. If there is something that you are struggling with, seek help, reach out to someone that uh, you can definitely trust. Thank you to everyone who has downloaded, who has subscribed. If you haven't done that yet, we would encourage you to do that. Reach out to us as well, because we'd love to have a great conversation with you. Project at Outlook.com if you want to email, or you could jump on all of our socials, uh, Facebook, on the Insta, on Twitter. And we're trying to do a YouTube page as well. The other big thing is making sure, yes, you subscribe, but also... Leave a rate and review by doing that. Apparently it boosts our numbers. We're still trying to figure this all out. We're four plus years into this and uh, we would still love to hear your uh, reaction from it. Uh, Apple podcast on Spotify, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. And if you've missed any programs, that's the other bonus about it is that uh, you can go back and you can listen. Maybe there's specific guests that you would love for us to talk to. And we try as best as we possibly can in order to get the uh, guests that you would love to hear topics and perhaps conversations that you would love for us to dive into, we're definitely trying. So again, you can uh, reach out to us and uh, download, subscribe, or check out faithstrongtoday.com.